0: So, Rebecca, let's talk about sex therapy. What do you say?
1: Okay, I've never been, but I'm willing to talk about it.
0: This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a professor and a therapist. Who are you, Rebecca? Hi,
1: uh, my name is Rebecca Bloom, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor and a board-certified art therapist. I have a private practice in the up-and-coming neighborhood of Hillman City in Seattle.
0: Where's Hillman City? It's
1: just south of the totally Booming and over flooding Hil- uh, Columbia City.
0: Oh, Hillman City is just south of Columbia City. Thing. Interesting. Okay. How do you like it up there? It's awesome. Yeah.
1: It's really easygoing and the parking is free.
0: Compared to when you were in Pioneer Square. where it
1: not free. Yeah. Very expensive.
0: I I feel at home there. There's a lot of Asians uh, and a lot of Asian. Shops. And uh right? In- are you on, Rainier? Oh, are you on yes. Rainier? Yeah. So a lot of Vietnamese sandwiches and pho, and pho.
1: There's like a pho competition going on out here. Yeah. And all of the new snazzy restaurants are like the Hawaiian fusion stuff. So we've got the Poke restaurant down here. Poke. Okay. Oh, poke. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. So good.
0: Yeah, Hawaiian fusion really is, uh, you know, when I, uh, cuisine wise, as a Japanese American, as a fourth generation Japanese American, I'm much more closer to Hawaiian, which is very influenced by Japan since there were a lot of Japanese people that lived on Ho- Hawaii at first mm-hmm. or, like, you know, within recent history. And so. You know, like for instance, spam spam Ooh. musubi or spam sushi uh originates from uh Japanese Americans in Hawaii and mainland and they're so, Mainland America and they're associated with Hawaii. Whereas Japanese nationals who live in Japan would no net wouldn't touch spam with a ten foot pole. You know, Americans hate spam, <laughs> right? But Japanese people hate it even more. <laughs> and so uh so a lot of my uh, cuisine is uh, so when I go to Hawaiian restaurants, I feel like I'm going home. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the, like the loco moco. Have you ever had that before?
1: No. What's that?
0: Well, it's a, it's a, so <laughs> um, now Japan doesn't eat like this, but Japanese Americans do and Hawaiians do where it's a, it's a bed. I grew up eating everything on a bed of rice. Mm-hmm. So think of, you know, your normal dinner plate, a big dinner plate, and think of, White sticky rice from, you know, from edge to edge, (laughs) just a thick layer of white sticky rice from edge to edge. Okay, then that's just that's just the base. That's just the base. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. Then you've got a hamburger patty. Yeah, shocking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was not where I was going, but I'm with you now.
0: Right. And I remember as a kid thinking. I'm so close to eating a hamburger, but so far away, you know, it's like, I just want to eat a hamburger, you know, it's just like, no, you know, this is, this is, this is what we're eating. So hamburger, and then you got eggs. Yes. Yeah, you know, Japanese Americans put eggs on everything, yeah. whether it's raw eggs or fried eggs or anything. And, and then you got, and then you got gravy mm-hmm. with top of that. And it's, it's a, just a mess of carbs and terribleness, mm-hmm. you know, comfort food. But come for food. That's right. All right. So let's talk about sex therapy. Okay. Uh, I got an email here from Patron Jung, who we've referred to in a previous episode about art therapy, because Jung was asking about art therapy. But the patron is also asking about sex therapy. Uh, the patron's interested in becoming a sex therapist mm-hmm. and doesn't know where to start. So let's get into that. What do you say? Yes. Um. What do you know about sex therapy? You said it earlier, like you don't do it, but do you, what? What's like your general impression of sex therapy? You know, what, the tr- I
1: realized I think I lied. I think I once saw someone who was certified as a sex therapist saw them for marriage therapy. Um, yeah. So I have. So I know. I've seen the props in the office.
0: What were the props?
1: Uh. Well, there is a lot of stuff that might. Turn you on so that you can discuss things you might like and not like.
0: Interesting. I didn't. I, I wouldn't have thought that there was. You mean like posters no or something? Posters,
1: but there was clearly like a porn video section to
0: a porn. Oh, interesting. To
1: like take home. I'm assuming that was what was going on. I I can't be sure. Um, it
0: could have just been casual <laughs> DVDs. Most for therapists the therapist. don't
1: have porn in their office.
0: Yeah. Kind of a- interesting. Uh interesting you know just on the just let's go down this road for a second um i don't know that seems a little funny to me doesn't it
1: seem funny well, i mean I could see as a sex therapist you'd be like you know you guys your sex life is x why don't you you know watch this video and think about if your sex life was y
0: sure I'm guessing this was before the internet or something because <laughs> <laughs> why you don't need uh to have to hold porn in your hands anymore, you know, as it is. Well, I think but, maybe
1: this was saying this is sex therapist sanctioned porn because I mean, you can get down a porn wormhole on the intern web. So maybe yeah. is... There's
0: there's literally porn <laughs> that involves wormholes, by the way.
1: <laughs> that is both
0: mis- both <laughs> Garden worms and space, you know, wormholes. It's like I, I, I've I've come across that on accident before. But yeah, well, my, my thing is is like, well, but why have those videos displayed all the time, even for just regular couples therapy clients? I don't know. It just seems a little funny to me. Um, not, to, not to judge your couples therapist, no, but
1: yeah, there's a whole story there, but I can't tell it on the.
0: I actually know the story because you've told. No, me
1: this is no, you don't know this story. <laughs>
0: Oh, this is a different story. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: Um so uh I mean I would say that there is a a hope for being comfortable. I knowing this therapist, I'm sure the goal was to just make everything seem really comfortable and accessible. Okay. And All right. Okay. It's just right gotcha. here. It's just so normal.
0: Yeah. Well, what do what can the patron do to become certified or Competent as a sex therapist, what what do you think they can do? So
1: I'm sure there is a national governing body of sex therapists.
0: There is. Uh, there have it to is.
1: use the interweb right now at your fingertips. I mean, there. I guarantee you, yeah. they probably really fun or really boring conferences, depending. On <laughs> 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 Either is the what, most fun conference you've ever been to, or the not so fun.
0: Yeah. The the main one that I can find is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. So it's not just for sex therapists, but it's also for sex educators, as well, and or A-A-S-E-C-T, which I guess you would say Asect, which you know is unfortunate. But so that that's that's perhaps the main one that you can uh, learn more about sex therapy. Their website and if you follow their process, you can become certified. And just to go over their certification requirements, as a sex therapist, you have to be a member of AASECT, which is always, you know, that's that. You have to there's, read their code of ethics. There's
1: two hundred dollars right there,
0: right a, a year. You have to uh, learn their and read their code of ethics. You have to have a master's degree or a doctoral degree uh, as a therapist or counselor of some sort. You have to be licensed in your state uh, under your profession. Mm -hmm. You have to have a minimum of 90 clock hours of academic coursework in sexuality. Which
1: at the master's level can be hard to get. You'd really have to be at a program that focused on that. Like at Antioch, there's only one class on that.
0: Yeah, we And the CFT program, it's mandatory for our students. Is it mandatory for LMHC students? I don't don't think think so. Yeah. It's mandatory for MFT students to take a class in human sexuality, Uh, you know, because as marriage and family therapists, we often will discuss sexuality with our clients. And so... And they have to be in a in a they lay out all the different core knowledge areas that you have to learn about. So this is so this is probably a big barrier to entry for a lot of people. Um, You know, the earlier things I said, there's a lot of licensed people. A lot of people can be a member of this thing. But to get 90 clock hours, that's um, expensive. That's a lot of time. Um that's 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 a big commitment. That's almost like a full master's program. Yeah, I'm trying to a,
1: think like 90 clock hours. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's like a that's like that's a whole a full, other
1: you might have to go to a program that only trains sex therapists and I don't right. I don't even know of a master's program that does that.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure there's there's got to be something out there. Um and you need a minimum of 60 clock hours in training how to be a sex therapist. So the 90 hours I was saying earlier was just like, you know, knowledge of sexuality. And then you need an additional 60 clock hours of training as a sex therapist. Um, da, da, da. So, so you're yeah, committing
1: years of your life to this.
0: Yeah. Um, you also need to be trained 10 clock hours of structured group experience you need to do uh, field work or internship or just professional training. You also need to be supervised by a you know uh, you know official sort of person, and you need to apply. And there's other kinds of requirements here. So, so lots of stuff, lots of lots of requirements. So get
1: busy, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Oh god, sorry. <laughs> uh,
0: you got to really get on top of that training, <laughs> or else. Nothing's uh, going to happen. Um, horrible. There, Sorry. So there are other organizations, too, that pro, uh, provide certification. So I will say uh, this.
1: So this is, has some similarities to art therapy, that whenever you're on the edge, the fringe, something that other people might not take seriously, the certification process is very intense because the professionals in that field want to be seen as highly regulated and you know, they're not just schlocky.
0: Right. Yeah, it's similar the to their
1: pants or. Right. Their pants.
0: Right. It's similar to, to marriage and family therapy and to art therapy and sex therapy to, to the general public. You're already starting at a deficit to some extent. And so the creators of the certification or licensure process will often err on the side of of rigor. Yes. extreme rigor. So So that if there's ever a question about the qualifications for this individual, you can, you know, show a a large stack of qualifications for this for this person. And sex therapy absolutely suffers from bad press and bad uh, ideas and notions about what sex therapy is. And so they've really gone overboard (laughs) because, you know, you would think you know for instance to be a certified play therapist mm-hmm. at at Antioch anyway you only need in a CFT program you only need to take really two extra classes cuz you're already you already have electives that you can use for play therapy and so it's like uh, essentially it's just six additional, additional clock hours as opposed to 150 for sex therapy yeah. and and you know in some supervised play therapy experience at internship or postgrad or something. And so to become a certified play therapist, m- very minimal extra effort uh, beyond your regular masters, but to become a certified sex therapist, my God.
1: Right. But that being said, you know, you have the opportunity to become the next Dr. Ruth. I mean, I think that there, our society has a real like titillation slash phobia about sex yeah. and that there's this huge need for it um, yeah. that, you know, People um, can get so disconnected from their sexuality, so unable to perform sexually. And, you know, that is something that really impacts marriage and self-esteem and all kinds of things. So the other thing is that anytime anybody wants to do anything, especially if they want to be an art therapist, I will say, you know, have you ever gone and seen your own art therapist? So this first thing that I would say to this patron is, you know, have you ever been to see a sex therapist? Um, because the actual field might be very different than what you imagine it is. And so I hope that you would at least go for one yeah, to three sessions right. and, and see uh, what happens. in this.
0: Yeah, so that's great advice to the patron to just seek out a sex therapist and experience it from the client perspective. Maybe they already have. You know, yeah. Hard to know. Um, the other thing, as, you know, with any of these things that we're talking about, play therapy, um, to some extent art therapy, you don't necessarily need certification to be a sex therapist. Um, art therapy, as you are, I, I would say, you, you know, to be an art therapist, you should become certified and get all the education. Um, to use it occasionally like I do, I don't think you need that. You need some supervision and expertise around it, but... But to become a sex therapist, I think it's – and I think in the field uh, currently, there's a lot of people that call themselves sex ther- – or a lot of people that call themselves able to do sex therapy that aren't certified in sex therapy and don't have any uh, – don't have nearly the education that and supervision experience that a certified sex therapists have.
1: So that would be fascinating uh, to find out how certified sex therapists feel about that.
0: I'm sure they're quite – bothered by that. In fact, I've, I've read that, you know, that, that they will, um, say, you know, look, if as a consumer, if you're going to see someone, you really should see a certified person. And, you know, my guess is, is if you're, if you're seeing a certified person, you, you can r- rest assured that that person is very likely competent, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> For the amount that they, especially through this organization, they, but if they're not certified, then it's unclear, right? They could be awesome and they could be terrible. Mm -hmm. And same with certification. It's not like certification guarantees that you're awesome by any means. But um, for instance, I just did a quick kind of Google and uh, actually looked at colleagues in the area that I know and looked at their websites and found uh, many of them, because I'm a marriage and family therapist, many of them will list sex therapy as something that they do And yet most of my colleagues don't have certification in sex therapy. And so anecdotally, anyway, many people who do sex therapy aren't certified as as a sex therapist. So
1: would you say that in a marriage family session, you know enough to get a couple to the next level and that your assumption is if somebody needs a certified sex therapist, there's something more like would you ever refer out to a certified sex therapist in your practice?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Or just a certified sex um, professional, for instance, like uh, sexually aggressive youth, mm-hmm. for instance, I will often refer out because I, that is a very specialized area. And and I know colleagues who specialize in that and their certification in that in terms of becoming certified as a sexually aggressive youth, youth therapist or counselor. Mm-hmm. Um if someone, you know, had a, you know, potential medical problem, I would refer them to, you know, obviously a physician. But honestly, the vast majority of presentations presenting problems that I hear are easily treatable by a competent couples therapist. Because in couples therapy, sexuality is, I don't know, it's probably five, 10% of all couples I see will present that as an issue mm-hmm. or they want to present it as an issue and they wait for me to ask them about it. And then they'd say, yes, yes, actually our sex life is terrible. So thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't necessarily feel comfortable saying that cause they don't know if it's okay to talk about and they, they're shamed about it or something. And so, uh, as a marriage and family therapist, um, I and, you know, my colleagues will just naturally over time uh, become experienced, you know. Now, should they augment all of that with uh, other education and training? Absolutely. And I have over the years. But it's been pretty on the fly, you know. It's never been like, okay, I'm going to make a concerted effort this year to educate myself on sex therapy. It's just been been kind of piecemealed over my 20 years as a – as a marital therapist, and incidentally, I, I get hired occasionally as a sex educator by by high schools and middle schools, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is not my training. But you know, you know, very quickly I just sort of uh, excuse the expression, bone up on the on the topic, and
1: well, uh, we'll you get it. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll become we'll become competent enough, at least, to teach ninth graders about. A, a, you know, about sex and whatnot. But, um, I looked into it and Florida, I think is the only state that requires the therapist be certified in order to practice sex therapy. So, yeah. So, and I'm guessing over time that will grow because it just in terms of history, that's usually the case, uh, is that when you have a specialized area, uh, you know, because when you lobby your, government and you say, look, we're a group of sex therapists and there's a bunch of other, you know, random counselors out there providing sex therapy that aren't certified, that are actually harming people. Mm-hmm. And, th- and they could probably, you know, produce points for example, sure. Yeah. And then, you know, it's hard for a legislature to push back on that, you know, and say, no, we, you know, so over time, usually these things just become, uh, you know, they sort of, you know, propagate throughout all the states in terms of making. So um, my guess is in 20 years, in order to do sex therapy, you need to be certified. It's just a guess. Mm-hmm. But I actually don't like that because, um, you know, especially when you look at how hard it is to become certified yeah. as a sex therapist and how many couples am I going to see or are marriage and family therapist going to see who are not going to go to a specialized sex therapist? but would like to talk with their marital therapist about sexuality. And so where's the line and all that kind of stuff? What do you think about that?
1: You know, I mean, I think there's gradations. I think there'd have to be a gradation of what serves as the specialization needed to see a sex therapist. Like it's similar in Washington State. I'm not supposed to do any drug and alcohol counseling because I'm not a certified drug and alcohol specialist Profes- professional professional yeah. but that stuff comes up all the time no um
0: well are we not supposed to i i cuz or
1: you know i can't whatever there's just
0: it's you can't do it officially but right. we can absolutely talk with our clients about substance abuse
1: yeah it's way more restrictive in um Washington state than it is in other states so it's just interesting like what is the culture of the state that makes us more restrictive about drug and alcohol counselors, where in New York, anybody could do it. And interesting. it's interesting. It just makes me wonder, what about Florida? With yeah. All those older people having lots and lots of sex makes <laughs> it more restrictive about who could be a good sex therapist.
0: Yeah. So I, what, what do you see people coming to therapy for regarding sex? Or what, what do you think people come to therapy for regarding sex? What, what problems do they present? This
1: is sex? such an interesting question. I just need to think about this for a while. I mean, so um, so I see a lot of non-monogamous people. Yeah. And they're having a lot of sex. You, yeah. Not all of them, but quite a lot of them. And so for some of them, it's managing all of the sexual partners. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people with a sexual abuse history who don't feel like they're ever present in sex. Mm-hmm. And so that is an issue um, yeah. I see some people whose partners can't perform in sex, sexually, mm-hmm. and that's an issue. Um, I have seen clients who have never had sex, who, yeah. and that's you know an issue too. So there's quite a wide range. I mean, it's very taboo, and I'm often the only person that they're talking about any of these issues with. Oh, yeah. That across oh, the yeah. board. Like, I've never... You know, the amount of times is I've never told anyone this, blah, blank, blah, blank, is quite high as compared to other issues. Um,
0: yeah. Well, here's a list of things that, that I came up with uh, in terms of what I've seen. And they are, you know, similar t- to your list. Um, first off, I see people just coming in with general couples issues like conflict or something. And sexuality. Sex, like yeah, and sex, sex is just kind of like a part of that you know what i mean it's just like they're just generally distant or conflictual and sex is interwoven in there not as an explicit topic but um but it it will be brought up at times you know like well i don't feel like having sex because we had a big fight last night you know that kind of stuff so just just general which isn't like specific sex talk but but it's you know something that i see Another thing is, is lack of sexual desire or differences in sexual desire among the partners. This is a pretty frequent you know, presenting problem. Someone will say, you know, so-and-so doesn't want to have sex ever, and I want to have sex a lot more often than that. And, you know, what do you do about that? And that's very complicated. All these actually are extremely complicated. Some of them don't take much time at all, but some of them take literally years to – uh, talk about and process and because there's so many different things woven in there and as you said we might be the only per- people they've ever talked to about it and when you have something as important as sexuality and yet and then you have all these weird you know societal messages and cultural messages and family messages that screw everything up and then you tack onto that l- literally never discussing it with anyone
1: Right. No at the way.
0: time they talk about it with us they're essentially like 13 year olds you know beginning the process of learning how to how to be a sexual person you know and uh, that is that takes time um can i just also, tell a
1: little story because all this is reminding sure. me of this. Um, so i was talking to a client very sexually active and he was talking about the tremendous pressure he felt that him and his sexual partner orgasm at the exact same time. And it just blurted out of me. I was like, Oh, that's a total myth that rarely ever happens. Even though like in the movies, it's pretty much the only way that anyone ever is finishing the sex act is they're both miraculously orgasm at the same time. And he just looked at me like, like his whole life had kind of been built on trying to make this happen. And the idea that it's like completely impossible, not impossible, but it's like, you know, who has sex like that? Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I forget. Even the kind of – maybe I have more sex education than most people. Even the limited amount of information I have can be life-changing to somebody.
0: Yeah, like, absolutely. What if and, you and took out of
1: your sex life this pressure that you and your partner would orgasm at the same time? And you could maybe, like, enjoy it a little bit more and, like, stop working towards this goal. That's probably not going to happen.
0: Right. There's just so much – misinformation and so little opportunity to, to discuss these things that, yeah, these myths persist. When I teach sex ed to kids, I, you know, there's always that uh, point where I send out the cards and then they write their secret questions and they turn them in. And every time I, and I've been doing it for 10 years or so. And so every time I always am reminded at how little they know and, and how, how the strangest rumors kind of propagate through just among ninth graders, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, just simple things and, and how little they understand, you know, cause, and I think that we as a society or something just underestimate how little people know about something so important. Um, and so often we, like you discovered we just have to start from the beginning um and very and just you know something so simple as just say look that never happens can be revolutionary to some people and so in sex therapy with people i find that uh i just have to not assume that they know what i know Mm -hmm. and that sometimes i just have to start from the beginning um other kinds of presenting problems are sexual compulsivity you know being compulsive around sex uh, I've, you know, sex addiction as mm-hmm. it might be called. Um, certainly that, that could be a kind of a specialized problem. Body shame. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I would say every one of my clients is ashamed of their body in some way. And that for some people can at the very least limit their sexuality. But, uh, for many people, it means that they don't, they never want to have sex mm-hmm. because to have sex, you're in touch with your body. Or and or you might have to be seen naked or felt and so this you know this cultural body shaming that we do in our society can really you know uh, prevent people from uh, having a healthy sexual life also sexual shame as I was talking about earlier just culturally we will shame sex in general just you know uh, it's like Unless you have this extremely narrow version of sex, then there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Or even just a being sexual, there's something wrong with you. You know, lack of erections. Mm-hmm. Um, you you used the word perform earlier, yes, which I admit. prefer not prefer not to use. Sorry. It, it's not a. It's I'm not a. I'm not one of those people that because I will often say you know the other day tell me what you think about this actually I was talking with a group of students about suicide and I said the word commit suicide and someone raised their hand very nicely and said Kirk did you know about the new movement and you know she's she's very apologetic she's like I'm not I'm not saying anything bad but I but have you heard the new movement to not say the word commit suicide they actually want to use the word complete suicide and I to my memory I think I kind of like pooh pooed it. I was like, ah, you know, that's ridiculous. But then I looked it up (laughs) later on. And yeah, I mean, the word commit, I think, comes from committing a sin. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we probably... And where else do we use the word commit? You know, it's not like you say you... I mean, you commit a murder, you know, for instance, but you don't like commit yourself to be depressed, for instance, you know, so it's, you know, you, you suffer from depression. And so when we say, you know, someone kills themselves, for instance, we say commit suicide. And so I, then I start thinking, huh, maybe I shouldn't, <laughs> should, maybe, and, and at the very least, maybe I shouldn't have poo-pooed it when the student said that. So um, I'm often on the other side of that thing, so I'll never do that to you. But the the word perform, <laughs> I actually don't prefer because it implies performance obviously and it it implies that you're on stage which is the direct opposite metaphor when trying to help clients feel not anxious and comfortable enough so that their you know brain is such that they will actually become aroused whether it's you know regardless of gender you you need to feel comfortable and performance is often associated with men And erections and stamina, the word stamina will come up, you know. What's the opposite of stamina? You know, you're weak, you're tired, you know. And so, um, you know, all those words, I think, are potentially harmful to clients. Um, Lack of female sexual arousal, lack of orgasm. Plenty of people have a hard time orgasming. Pain during sex. Mm -hmm. A lot of people experience pain during sex. Uh, as you mentioned, trauma history. Well, you know, if you've been sexually traumatized, that's likely going to complicate things. And so, you know, recovering from that trauma, and or learning how to have a healthy sexual or a satisfying sexual life in uh, the midst of sexual trauma. For instance, if a woman was raped by uh, on a date rape situation, for instance, and later has uh, a partner. Talking with that partner. Look, there are certain things that will trigger me, right. and I need you to not do those things. And and that. Remember that time when you did that thing, and I, you know, didn't react well. Well, it's it's not your fault. It's just I've been traumatized, and so just we just need to have a conversation about that. And what I find is most people don't. You know, most pe- most people who have survived sexual abuse will just hope that they won't be triggered. Mm-hmm. And then when they are triggered, they're ashamed of it and their and their partner is left wondering, was it something I did? Like, what's wrong with this person? And, you know, and then, you know, and so it gets really unfortunately problematic. And so just helping people have conversations with that. So in in therapy with couples, we'll just have those conversations, you know, and uh, I've been with many. Couples through those conversations, and the partner will almost always say, "Oh my God, I had no idea."
1: Right? did you tell me?
0: Right. Well, I'm glad you told me. You know, and the the survivor of the sexual abuse will say, "Well, I, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't feel comfortable, or I didn't, I didn't really even know what was going on." And and so it can be a very healing experience for people. Um, as you mentioned, I think gender issues and also just general societal oppression regarding one's sexuality. So, so those are all the different topics that I personally see. And as a marriage and family therapist, I feel competent in working with those people, like, like I said, because it, it involves all the same skills as a marital therapist uh, when we work with any topic. Okay. So if someone comes in to talk about conflict – you know, that requires opening communication, helping them to talk, validating their feelings, um, thinking about how their own backgrounds influence the moment. And all that can be applied directly to sexuality. Um, sex therapy is not the following things. Rebecca, what do you think are the misunderstandings about what sex therapy is and the you general You will population? go
1: to a sex therapist and have sex.
0: Yes. That, that is not... What a sex therapist does. Now, some people will call themselves sex therapists, and they do that. But those are extremely rare people who are practicing outside of the standard of care. What else is is sex therapy associated with?
1: I don't know. Well, some guess. of them think
0: some of them think you're a sex surrogate. Oh you know, yes,
1: that, so that's. That you, I was thinking about that, but I. Yeah.
0: Which you know, there are sex surrogates out there, and they do wonderful work, but. That is not what a sex therapist does. Um, sex therapy is just like any other couples therapy or individual therapy session. You you know sit and talk, and apparently some people hand out porn. Um, I think but
1: uh, <laughs> handing it out, hand over fist, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: which you know is I'm sure uh, can be very useful for some people. Um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head if it's like you, you just want a client to stop judging themselves or stop thinking bad thoughts you know like here watch this and really just you know embrace sex as a wonderful thing you know and um you know fight against the shame that you were given growing up Um, can you think of other reasons why someone would prescribe a porn DVD to a client for sex therapy?
1: Um, you know, some of it might be learning what the options are for sexuality. I mean, I'm assuming this is yeah. you know, porn that is made from a woman-centered place. I mean, there are some people might call it erotica. I didn't really look closely at her porn collection. Um, but, you know, some of it can be accepting what sex is for different people. Um, I have heard of people come in with real fantasies about what sex will look like or if there's an acquired disability or a disability you know what sex will look like then and there's a lot of education that
0: yeah so i'll close with just a couple case examples uh one that i would say i i've had a fair amount of uh, work in this area which is young men who will have trouble getting an erection and in our society, we tell young men and boys that they can't talk about their feelings, that they have to be strong, they have to perform, and they have to be sexual, I don't know, just like constantly on. You know, they, Their sexuality is, is, a, is a roaring river and you can't stop them. I mean that's just sort of like the image that I think of when I think of what we say – and, and women are like a soft flower that needs to be opened up slowly, you know? And so... God, who are that, these da-
1: people? I don't know any of these people.
0: <laughs> but what that does to boys and men is it makes them think that their erections are automatic. That if they are in the presence of a person who wants to have sex, then obviously they would have an erection. Like, you know, just, it's just automatic. But, they, you know, they're human beings just like women are and need to feel comfortable and they need to feel safe and they need to feel close to the person they're having sex with. Uh, the, the notion is just like, well, you know, young men or teenagers, boys, they just get boners at all times and there's ready to do it. There's ready to stick it in anything they want, but, uh, it's just not the case. And a lot of young men will come to me and, you know, they'll just be like, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. And I'll say, well, do you feel safe with your partner? And, you know, we'll talk about it for a while. And they'll say, actually, no, I feel like she will judge me. I feel like she, I don't know, I just, I I don't feel comfortable around her. And I'll say, well, that's your problem. (laughs) You're not going to get an erection if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel loved, if you don't feel non-anxious. And um, or at the very least, they're anxious about getting a boner and therefore that'll kill it right there. And so, you know, that doesn't require much work because that can be dismantled fairly quickly and I can see results, you know, not, you know, literally see the results, but they'll tell me that things are working out well. But uh, a more common case example that I'll say is working with couples who will come to me and will say once I ask them, that they haven't had sex in months or years, or very infrequently. And I'll ask them, well, would you like to change that? Because not everyone cares about that sort of thing. But many couples do. And they'll say, yeah, I want to change that. And, you know, maybe it's because of conflict. Maybe it's because of young kids. Young kids will just kill, you know, a couple's sexual life often is, is the case, especially, I think, in the Contemporary model of parenting where, you know, there's a lot more allowing the kid to sleep in the bed and all that kind of stuff, which I think is good for children. But obviously it makes it harder to have sex at night. Um, People working too much in Seattle, the average amount I think is like, you know, including commute would probably be like 60 to 70 hours a week when you include emails at home and this sort of thing. So that's obviously going to kill sex. People being stressed. Uh, people are gaining more weight. And so obviously, there's going to be more body issues around that. And so I I will, those are often, you know, the common reasons. And the approach that I have is I just move really slow with people and really hold their, wherever they're at, and help them to just begin talking about it. Because I find that when they talk about it, they will just naturally gravitate towards things that will help them. You know I never know the solution. I never just say like, "Well, here's what you got to do, you know because every couple's different and and I might throw out suggestions like one of the suggestions I often throw out is you might have to schedule sex mm-hmm. <laughs> because when you were dating at first, you didn't have to because one, you probably didn't have kids, and you probably spent a lot of time staring into each other's eyes and making out on the couch and whatnot. Whereas now, you unless you schedule it, it's not gonna happen. And so uh, for some people, I will say, and they'll look at me like, oh, it's so unromantic. And I'll say, yeah, you know. But he, that's this is the reality. So you, and with some couples, I've seen them literally take out their phones and look at their schedule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's like, okay, well, the kids are gonna be at school and you maybe you could come home from lunch <laughs> and and we could have sex and that'll you know it feels unromantic to some people but it's just practically what what needs to happen or at the very least what I see couples doing is they will say how about tomorrow during this time you know we have some mommy and daddy time or mommy and mommy time or daddy and daddy time whatever and so uh, so at least some intentional scheduling of it. What do you think about that, Rebecca?
1: I have also heard that, that um, to make it happen in most people's busy lifestyles, you really have to schedule it.
0: Yeah. Um, Seems like there should be an app for that. right? You
1: know? You know, yeah. Where you coordinate your phones and personal schedule. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, you know, maybe you should design it and then you can yeah. retire.
0: Yeah. It could, you know, I'm just seeing it in my head now. It's like, you both create an account and then you link up with you know. And so for your non-monogamous people, they could link up with all sorts of people,
1: right. right? And there could be like a Tinder aspect. It could be like you know different outfits that you'd want to see your partner in. Maybe your partner doesn't know that you know they've been dying to see you in the kitty suit for a really long time. You know.
0: Yeah, I thought about that. Yeah, you could send like little requests, like the next time we do it, let's do this, you know, and and, and let's do that. Or and then you would send like schedule sex. Uh, times and you might use it to flirt, you know. Um, you know, just I'm just imagining it probably just degrading to a lot of dick pics in all likelihood, but um, but you know, I maybe maybe something maybe something like that already exists. So yeah, you, know. you
1: could do a little research.
0: All right, well, that does it for this episode of Psychology in Seattle. I hope we answered your question, patron Jung, about sex therapy and how to become a sex therapist. It's a lot of work. You better
1: work. You better work, 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 work. work.
0: And you better perform well. Got to perform well.
1: <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I just want to talk for a moment about probably the most important sexuality educator to me out there. Who's Annie Sprinkle. And so what she would say is that the ultimate act is to dedicate your orgasm to someone. Oh. Uh, and, and she talked to like
0: to, like to Trump or something? Well, or she
1: actually it? talked about like during the HIV and AIDS epidemic in the eighties, when you know there was nothing left to do, so much grief and loss, and so she would dedicate her orgasms to people. But you know, if people want to try on their concept of being
0: to people who had died,
1: people who had died or people who were sick. Oh. Um,
0: like you think about it in the moment, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I dedicate this orgasm to like so and so. Yeah. Like in the moment you think that or you say it. Yeah. All right, that does it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.